Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week 12 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm going to be talking to you about questions number 31 and 32. Now, last week we began the section on Jesus, and this is one of the largest sections in the Catechism. Questions number 29 all the way through 52, all of these questions deal with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And this section and all the questions in it are really taking cues from the Apostles' Creed, which we talked about, I think, in week seven. Uh, And the aim in these questions 29 through 52 is to go through all of the detailed phrases within the creed and explain those and explain really why they are important and what they mean. Um, So let's refresh our memories as to what the Apostles' Creed said about Jesus. This is the middle section of the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, last week, in questions 29 through 30, we looked at what it means that the Son of God is called Jesus, and we looked at the name and and what that meant for us. And now, uh, this week, we're going to look at not so much what His name is, but what His title is and what His title means. And His title is Christ. Now, you've probably heard Jesus referred to as Jesus Christ all of your life. And if you're not knowledgeable or wise on this, you'll you'll come to think like many people did, myself included, when I was younger, I just kind of thought of Jesus Christ as being a first and last name. But that's not the case at all. Jesus is His name, and that name has immense meaning, which we learned last week. But the last part of that is not a name, it's a title. Christ, meaning anointed one. It's the uh, New Testament equivalent of an Old Testament word, Messiah. So the question that we're dealing with today, question 31, is this. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? And here's the answer, and then we'll talk about it. The answer is this. Because he has been ordained by God, the Father, and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. Our only high priest, who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in his freedom, in the freedom that he has won for us. Now, there's a lot packed into that explanation, that answer, Um, But it's easy to spot the way that this statement is organized. It's ordered to show how Jesus fulfilled the office of Christ by fulfilling three specific offices of prophet, priest, and king. And you've probably heard Jesus referred to as prophet, priest, and king. I actually did a series, a preaching series on that just a couple of years ago. And and these three offices are really related to what we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, 
Prophets, priests, and kings were three separate offices that God established. And these offices, these individuals who served within these offices, they served as mediators between God and the people of God. So God established the the tabernacle or the the tent, if you will, that eventually became the temple. And that was the place where God would meet with his people and dwell amongst his people. But in order for the people to be able to come near, there were certain things that needed to be done. In order for the people to be uh, able to relate to God in specific ways and to be guided by God in specific ways, these three offices were given. The prophets spoke the word of God to the people. The priests offered sacrifices, prayers, and even praises to God for the people. And the king ruled over the people as a representative of God. And at times in Israel's history, there were faithful prophets, uh, and there were faithful kings, and there were even faithful priests. But we also know that there were wicked prophets, priests, and kings who failed in their offices. But each of these offices foreshadowed, they pointed forward to the one that was to come, uh, the one who would execute these offices with finality. And that's where Jesus comes into the discussion. In Christ, these three offices come together and are fulfilled. As prophet, Jesus speaks the word of God to us, and he reveals God to us. As our priest, Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice to God for us that ends all sacrifices. And as our king, Jesus rules over the church and over all creation. Now, why do we think about Jesus in these terms? Well, a lot of it you can just see out of Scripture, but there's a, there's a theological history here. It was John Calvin who brought the threefold office of Christ into prominence during the Reformation. He wasn't the first to write on it. Uh, the early church fathers and uh, Catholic theologians, they referred to the work of Christ in these three distinct ways, prophet, priest, and king, mainly because they saw that in the Bible. But Calvin set out to show how Christ not only served in these roles, but did so as a means to completely satisfy our need of salvation, where Catholic teachers left that need of salvation unfulfilled. Now, Calvin understood that Jesus' fulfillment of the threefold office was tied to his title as the Messiah, which this catechism points out. And Messiah simply means anointed one of God. Under the law, Prophets, as well as priests and kings, were all three anointed into their offices. They were anointed with holy oil, and that anointing was not only a ritual, but it was also a symbol of the fact that these men in these offices, they were anointed by the Spirit of God to accomplish the purpose of God. Hence the illustrious name of Messiah, it was bestowed upon one, uh, one promised mediator who would be anointed to fulfill all of those three offices of the Old Testament. So that's where the title comes from. But another Reformed theologian named Francis Turretin, he introduced the threefold office of Christ as the divinely revealed cure to man's threefold disease of ignorance, guilt, and pollution. Three offices to counteract man's threefold need. Turretin taught that Christ's 
serving in this triple office, prophet, priest, and king, was necessary to accomplish the triple cure to our fatal threefold disease of ignorance, guilt, and pollution. Now, I'm not going to go back into that. We looked at um, man's sin and misery, ignorance, guilt, and pollution. We looked at that in the first half or the first section of the catechism. But let's just get in and let's, let's think a little more deeply about these three offices and how Jesus fulfilled them. Of course, Jesus is a prophet of God. But the catechism points out that he is not simply a prophet, but he is the chief prophet. Jesus is the greatest of the prophets, and he was also more than a prophet. He is the one prophet that all the other prophets were pointing to. He is the one prophet who fulfills all the promises and prophecies that God ever gave to his people. He is the one prophet who not only speaks the word of God, but who is the word of God. In John Chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this, this Word here is referring to Jesus, but it's interesting that God revealed who Jesus was by referring to him as the Word of God. Jesus was not only a messenger bringing revelation from God, he was the source of revelation from God. In his role as the final prophet, the chief prophet of God, Jesus came to reveal his plan to us, but also in his role as the Savior of the world, he also came to accomplish that plan, to accomplish salvation for us. You see, as our prophet, he not only announced an end to our sin, but he made an end to our sin. He does more than just prophesy about good things. He came to give us those good things. He not only preaches good news, but he comes and he makes that news Good. So Jesus is our chief prophet, but he's also our great and, according to the catechism, only high priest. Now, the responsibilities of the priests included making sacrifices and performing the ritual of the sanctuary, burning the incense along with the intercession in the holy place. And <clears throat> priests also were responsible for teaching laws and these rituals to the people. And we tend to simplify the office of the priest into two categories, making sacrifices and offering intercession or prayers on behalf of the people. And Jesus fulfills both of these with finality. In his death on the cross, Jesus offered to God the final sacrifice for the sins of all those who believe. He offered himself. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 12 and 14 says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by offering, uh, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus is our great high priest who was divinely appointed to offer himself as the once-for-all sacrifice to atone for our sins. But in his death, Jesus' role as our only priest doesn't end because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He is alive forever, and he is with the Father in heaven. So now he is fulfilling the other half of that priestly office. He not only offered a sacrifice— to end all sacrifices, but he was raised from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father so that now he can intercede in the role of a priest on behalf of his people. 
the, the reality of what the, the book of Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is at God's right hand now, and he will remain there for eternity, whispering prayers in the Father's ear on our behalf. Jesus is our great final prophet. Jesus is our only high priest, but Jesus is also our eternal king, who, according to the catechism, governs us and guards us by his spirit and his word. Now, as our eternal king, he guards the freedom purchased for us by that sacrificial death. The king we needed was not the king we deserved. We needed someone to come and die in our place, to die that death. And our king is the one who died that death. He came to die, and by his death, he bought our freedom. In heaven, they sing a song about Jesus. In Revelation 5, verse 9, we read, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Today, Christ rules as our king from heaven, and his rule is a spiritual one. His rule is grounded in his work of redemption, and all who believe in Christ are citizens of his kingdom. He rules over the church as our Savior. He reigns in the hearts of his people by the Holy Spirit. He governs us, his people, by his word, and the day is coming when our king will return to rule over all the earth in glory. Jesus is our prophet and priest and king. And in that, he fulfills that anointed office of Messiah or Christ. And that brings us to the final question for this week, which is this, why are you called a Christian? Because by faith, I am a member of Christ. And so I share in his anointing. Remember, the word Christ, Messiah, means anointed one. And we are sharing in the anointing of Jesus. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over creation for all eternity. Now, I think one of the most important aspects of that answer is the very first part of it, because by faith. That phrase is crucial. A Christian is first and foremost a person who believes in Jesus and affirms all that he has accomplished. We accept by faith that he is the Son of God, the promised Christ, the final prophet, priest, and king from God. We trust that by his death we are freed from our sin, united to God forever, and set to receive the grace-filled blessings that he has promised to his people. A Christian is first and foremost one who believes, but a Christian is also one who follows Jesus. We follow his sacrifices by giving our own lives as a living sacrifice. We follow his battle against the evil one by striving against sin and the devil ourselves. We follow our king with the promise that one day we will reign at his side. See, a Christian is a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, and in, in reality, we are a little Christ. All of our hope is in him, and where he fulfilled these offices, we follow in that because we share in his anointing. 
What wonderful truths for us to meditate on this week. Thank you so much for joining me today in in discussion of this Heidelberg Catechism. I hope you will join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 13 together and we discuss questions 33 and 34. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cornerstone Wiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.